Father, we thank you for the truth that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant by humbling himself even to the point of death on the cross so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bend and every tongue confess that he is Lord for your glory. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to die for our sins, to break what was broken, to restore all that needs to be restored. Father, we thank you for that. Now, I just pray that by the power of your spirit, you would use your word to change us, to conform us to the image of of your son. Father, we just hail you right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome for those of you that are watching online that are working on your apps for the Super Bowl. The rest of us are just going to catch up. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. You can find the Sixth chapter of Ephesians on page 920 as we look into what God has for us today. Well, we're continuing in this series, Kingdom Relationships. And just by way of review, over these last weeks, we have established that Jesus was all about relationships. He had a relationship with the Father, his vertical relationship. He had a relationship with his disciples, those within the community of believers. And then he had a relationship with those outside in the outside world. And we said, if Jesus, if the life of Jesus was all about relationships, then the life of a follower of Jesus should all be about relationships. And we discussed that our relationship with others should be an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. If I'm getting the vertical right, if I have my relationship with Jesus right, my relationships that are horizontal are going to fall into place. So we talked about that our target should always be our vertical relationship. If I'm always thinking, I just got to have a better relationship with my wife, and I'm not thinking about my relationship with the Lord, good luck. But if I get right with the Lord, it's going to change my relationship with my wife. So we moved from the vertical relationships, our relationship with Jesus to the horizontal relationships. And we started out by talking about relationship in community. We were in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And the importance of community and growing in community, maturing in community. And then we, week four, we discussed what was one of our greatest dangers to our relationship with the Lord, and that's sexual immorality, as we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then last week, as Johannes mentioned, Trent and Andrea Griffith gave us a great understanding of marriage and the importance of marriage, but once again, putting the Lord first in our marriages. And this week, we consider one of the most important relationships— It's our relationships at home, relationship between parents and children. And the big idea of the message today is this, our relationship with our family starts or should be an overflow of our relationship with the Lord. Once again, 
get our relationship with the Lord right, it will impact our relationship with our parents. It'll impact our relationship with our children. So I want to make some qualifying statements here because I think this is really important. Here's the first qualifying statement. Yes to conviction, no to condemnation. Yes to conviction, no to condemnation. God's word will convict us. And that's a good thing if it leads to confession, repentance, and forgiveness. See, some may feel that they've not been a great parent. Some may feel that they've not been a great child. And the fact is, if we get back on the right path, that's God's grace. Because we know that some of us have not been, had a great relationship with God our Father. But yet God doesn't condemn us. He might convict us, but he wants to bring us back into a right relationship with him. So, so that, that brings us to the second statement. We live in a broken world. Sin has marred what should be normative. Many of you come from broken homes. I did. But you know what the reality is? We all come from broken homes. Because we live in a fallen and broken world. Some are just more broken than others. But again, that's grace. That's why God sent Jesus into this world to restore what was broken. To put the pieces back together. Again, that's grace. Now, here's the third statement. Some don't have children. Some can't have children. Maybe your children have grown and gone, and the principles we're going to talk about, you can't apply, but take heart, because God's word is profitable. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. And so the fact is, even if you may not have children... He can use you to help others. It may be with your grandchildren. It may be with a neighbor. It may be at your school or with another church member. Okay, with those statements in hand, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But here's the concern I have about jumping right into Ephesians chapter 6 without having any idea what Ephesians 1 through 5 says. So I think it's really important that we have the context of that, because if you don't have the context of that, this can become a message that feels really legalistic, and we do not want to do that. We don't want a legalistic message. We want a message that's bathed in grace. And so when you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses chapter, I mean, through chapter 3, it's all about the indicatives, who we are in Christ. In fact, Paul's very careful when he writes this letter to help us to understand who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. And that, that, that really kicks off everything. In fact, in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that we've been chosen, that we're, we've been made holy, that we're blameless, that we're loved. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. We're blessed. We've been forgiven, redeemed. God has lavished his grace on us. He has sealed us with the, with the promised Holy Spirit. That's who you are in Christ. So important to understand that. In fact, in chapter 2, he tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, following the prince of the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, he saved us. God did that. We've been saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. So because of our, our salvation, we are now saved unto good works. We're not saved by good works. And so we are saved to live a life that brings glory and honor to him. 
So those are all these indicatives, who we are in Christ, but the indicatives lead to the imperatives, how now we are supposed to live. And you see that in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, he, talk, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Parents, walk in a manner worthy to which you've been called. Children, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In fact, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 21 and or, uh, 22 and 24, he tells us to put off our old self, who we used to be, and put on the new self in Christ. We have a new, we have a new relationship. We have a new walk. Chapter 5, he tells us to be imitators of God, to walk in love as Christ has loved us. And then in chapter 5, verses 18, he tells us to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. All of this leads up to what we're going to be talking about. So stay with me. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, he talks about humility, the importance of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what he does, starting in verse 22, he talks about three relationship groups. Between chapter uh, 5, 22 through 33, he talks about husbands and wives. We're not going to talk about that. We talked about that plenty last week. In chapter four, 6, verses 1 through 4, it's children and parents. And then in, in verses 5 through 9, he talks about in the workplace. We're going to talk today about children and parents. Now, if I were to take a poll, I would say that most of you would love to have harmony in the home. Harmony in the home is really important. But harmony in the home takes grace at home. It takes living by grace. It, 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 it requires bestowing grace. See, God has bestowed his grace upon us. And now what we need to do is live by grace in our homes. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let me give you four steps to harmony in the home or four steps to grace at home. Here's the first step, and you're going to just see it right in the text here. First, Children, obey your parents. How many parents just love that line? Children, obey your parents. It's a direct command. It's not a suggestion. That word obey, it means to listen under, to hear under. It's to listen and to respond. Now, some people might ask, what age qualifies as a child, as it's spoken of here? Well, what's the age? Where's the line? Well, one commentator put it like this. He says, the issue is not age, but dependence. It's anyone living financially dependent on their parents. I think that's pretty good. It's, 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 it's not age, but dependence. A child is to listen to the voice of their parents and to respond. That's what Obedience is all about. You respond with submission. 
this obedience that children learn in the home becomes a foundation for the rest of their lives. They learn to respect authority, to respect teachers, to respect police and the government. Children learn to walk in obedience when they learn to walk in obedience to their parents and to the Lord. Notice what it says here. He says, for this is right. It's proper. It complies with natural and divine law. Now, when is obedience to parents not required? When a parent calls a child to sin. That would be the one time that a a child should not obey if you're called to sin. So the first step to harmony is children obey your parents. Here's the second step. Children, honor your parents. Honor your parents. What does the word honor mean? It means to highly value, to respect, to hold in high regard. It speaks of an attitude both inward and outward. Again, look at what verse 2 says. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So what is this commandment speaking of? It's speaking of the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Now, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you have two groupings. The first four have to do with our vertical relationship. Heard that before? And then the fifth through the tenth commandment deal with our horizontal relationships. What's the fifth commandment? Let me put that up for you from Exodus chapter 20. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That your days may be long in the land. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, there wasn't a whole lot of disobedience to parents? There was not a whole lot of disrespect because that could have been a capital crime leading to capital punishment. I'm glad that's not true today, but certainly it would change the way a lot of children act. Um, Children are to honor your parents because it honors the Lord. And God always blesses those who honor and obey him. Notice it says that it may go well with you. It speaks of a quality of life. You may not always agree with your parents. I know I didn't. But you're to honor them and to show respect. It's a matter of the heart. Now, I know that's hard for some people because they've not had parents that have done things that have been honorable. But they're your parents. They raised you up. And children must beware that they think that they have life all figured out. Because they can just go off on their own pretty quickly. But parents, don't make it more difficult for your children to obey or to honor you be the way, by the way you act. Kids learn from their parents. We all learn from our parents. We can learn good and we can learn bad. Let me ask you, what are your children learning from you? Are they learning integrity? Are they learning speaking the truth? Are they learning how to love your spouse well? Are they learning how to honor authority? Are they learning how to encourage? Are they learning how to discipline? Are they learning to be faithful to the Lord? Are they learning to be faithful to the church? Are they learning to to love the word of God? Fact is, we're to honor our parents. My parents have both passed away a couple years ago. 
but I still show honor to them. So the first two steps to grace in the home, children obey your parents and children honor your parents. That leads us to the third step. This is where we're going to spend, actually the fourth we'll spend the most time. Parents don't provoke your children. Notice what it says in verse five or verse four. Fathers do not provoke your children. Now, in scriptures, you see, especially in, in the, in the um, epistles, you see the idea of put-offs and put-on. Put off your old life, put on your new life. Here is a put-off. Fathers, put off provoking your children. What does provoke mean? It means to arouse to wrath, to exasperate. Provoking can lead to discouragement. Now, notice what it says. It says fathers. But does that include just fathers? No, actually the word here used for fathers is also at times used for parents or mothers and fathers. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, I believe it is. Yes. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. It's the exact same word as we see here. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, we have to be careful as parents that we're not provoking our children, that we're not exasperating them. See, provoking can lead to discouragement. It can lead to uh, disheartenment. In fact, the New American Standard says it can cause them to lose heart. It's a pattern of treatment over time that can build resentment, that can cause a broken spirit to the point where the child might say, I'll never get this right. Or all he does is criticize me. Or he'll never love me. And here's what we understand. Our Lord doesn't treat us that way, does he? He treats us with grace. The fact is, we can blow it. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned today. Yet God doesn't just provoke us to, to wrath. He doesn't provoke us. He, he shows us grace when we ask for forgiveness. So I wrote down eight ways we can provoke our children. Now, there's a lot more than this, but let me just give you these quickly. First one, it could be abuse. Physical or mental abuse, verbal abuse. Now, if there's physical abuse in the home, there should be, the police should be called. It's pretty clear. According to Romans chapter 13, it should never be stood for. But verbal abuse can be extremely difficult in the home, and that should not be stood for either. Saying harsh or cruel things, overreacting. You heard the idea of killing a mosquito with a shotgun. Sometimes we can overreact, we can, we can berate, especially in front of others. Guess what? That provokes your child. Second, overprotect. Overprotect. Uh, uh, refusing to allow children to go, grow up and make decisions equal to their age and maturity. The, we, we talked about it last week, the idea of leaving and cleaving. Some parents, when your kids get older, you have to let your children leave and cleave. They become one flesh. And so often we want to interpose our thinking into their lives. We have to be careful of that. 
Here's the third one. Unrealistic expectations. Pressure to achieve in school or in sports or socially. Sometimes we forget Psalm 139 that each child is fearfully and wonderfully made. They are made in the image of God and they are going to be very different from one another. My twin brother was very different than me. And the fact is we can have unrealistic expectations on one over another. And we have to be careful that we're not placing undue pressure on our children. We want to give them a vision for life. We want to make sure that we're pushing them forward. But there should not be unrealistic expectations. Some parents have to be careful because they can find themselves living vicariously through their children. Maybe they weren't a great baseball player and they're just pushing their children extremely hard because they want them to be a great baseball player. I had two cousins that both went to Harvard, Ted and Paul. You can't believe the number of times I heard that they went to Harvard. I know they went to Harvard. I'm not going to Harvard. That's not me. You can't force that on me. But there were unrealistic expectations. I had another, uh, I had another one that went to, to Columbia College of Journalism. You know, ended up being Mike Pence's um, senior advisor. That's not me. I'm, I'm a pastor today. And, and, and yeah, thank you. That's good. But see, we can put unrealistic expectations. If it was up to some of the people in my family, that would have been me. How about fourth, playing favorites? We can compare our kids to other kids in the family. We see that in the Old Testament with Rebecca and Jacob. How they played favorites with Isaac and Esau it created all kinds of strife and division in the family. We can provoke fifth through discouragement. We never compliment. We never encourage. We might say you'll never amount to anything. We might neglect them by not spending time with them. I, Pam used to always challenge me, Bill, your kids want encouragement. They need encouragement. And she was right. I was always looking for what was wrong, not what was right. And I had to really work on that. fact is, some of you may have grown up in homes where you were never encouraged, you were never built up, but here's what you need to understand. You need to understand your identity in Christ. You are loved. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. You have a, you have a new life. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Press into your identity in Christ. Six, six way to provoke Inconsistency, inconsistency in your words, inconsistency in your discipline. Like a, a child can like, like I don't, know, I don't know what's right and what's wrong. Make it very clear. Be very consistent. Be very consistent in your discipline. Be very consistent in your words. Some children see inconsistency in going to church or their parents in the word, and all of a sudden, then they now become very confused. Parents may not be on the same page. They're not unified. That creates great issues. I would encourage parents, if you have to deal with your children with something, meet first, get on the same page, and then come out with a unified voice. Don't create arguments in front of them 
where they can then divide and conquer. Here's a seventh one, lack of discipline. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then eighth, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. We must, our families must be the greatest place of seeking forgiveness and forgiving. Seeking forgiveness and forgiving. I will never forget, we became Christians and, you know, as a dad, you always want to be right. And let me ask you, are dads always right? Nope. So, when you're wrong and wrong in how you're dealing with your kids, do you just hope it'll go away, brush it under the carpet? Or do you go to them in humility and ask for forgiveness? I'll never forget the first time I think I really asked my kids for forgiveness and the grace they provided to me and and, and the change that made in our relationship. And even if that was not modeled in your family, break the chain, be the one that starts. All right. Parents, don't provoke your children. That leads to the fourth step. Parents, train your children. That's the put on. Don't provoke. That's the put off. Uh, Train your children. That's the put on. Notice right in the middle of verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but in complete contrast to provoking is training. Bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instead of provoking your children, train your children. Now, imagine you get a new job, and you go to work at this company, and they say, have at it. There's no training. There's no instruction. There's no guidebook. Just go. And then you blow it, and then they start yelling at you, and they start creating all kinds of problems for you. Guess what? You've just been provoked to anger because you didn't know what to do. That's why parents have to be so intentional about training our children. We, we can't assume. We must train and show grace. And the fact is, you have to realize, especially with your children, you, you give them this information, but it's like it's on a slanted shelf. It's going to slide down, which means you got to put it back on the shelf. You have to train and retrain. You, you just can't do it one time and think, like, you ought to get this by now. I mean, sometimes you get a little bit of thinking that way. But the fact is, we, we don't want to just think it's a one-time thing. So how should we train our children? Well, he says it right here. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So train your children in the Lord. Train them in the Lord. Bring them up to know God. Bring them up to know God. That idea of bringing them up, it's in, it's in the active tense. Start and don't stop. Teach them. Continue to teach them in the Lord. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6 says. We've looked at this many times. This is the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. When should we teach our children about the Lord? According to this, all the time. We're looking for teachable moments. We're teaching them. We're, we're bringing them up in the Lord. We should mark our homes for the Lord. And the fact is, parents, you can't impart what you don't possess. It's so important that we become students of the word and students of the Lord so we can teach that to our children. I heard, I heard you know, in one of the ways we do that is through family devotions. I heard somebody talking about when he was a new Christian, he got a Bible and he sat around a table with his family and, and they would read a passage of scripture and then he would turn to the first child and say, what does this mean? Then go to the next child. What does this mean? Go to the wife. What does this mean? Go to the next child. What does this mean? And by the time it got back to him, he had multiple choice. He could pick any of them that he wanted, that he thought would be right. That, that's not the way to teach your children. The, the way to teach your children is to understand what God's word says. And one of the things I would encourage you, if you don't have a great study Bible, man, I mean, some of us grew up with cliff notes. I mean, study Bibles are incredible. I mean, I would encourage the ESV study Bible. It's really good. And it's got so much information. It gives you the passage of scripture with a corresponding uh, commentary down below that tells you what it means. It gives you the context of it. So we need to train our children up in the Lord to know God, to bring them up to hope in God. Do your children hope in God, the return of Christ? Do they put their hope in him? Let me ask you, where do they learn that from? Again, Get the vertical right, the horizontal falls into place. Bring them up to love God's word. See, that's the way you train your children in the Lord. They learn God's word. And when they learn God's word, they'll love God's word. One of the things that we used to do with our kids is we would have family devotions. And I, I remember one time we had just gotten saved and we went over to Mike Fetchner's house. Mike was the, the pastor from Prestonwood that led us to Christ. And they had four children and we had dinner, had a good time. And then afterwards we all went into their living room and the kids all got on the floor. Mike read a couple passages of the Bible, said a few things about it. A couple kids gave their insights, and then they prayed. I didn't think much of it. We're on our way home. And Pam, you know, sitting in the front car, she's, she's got her left elbow in my right ribs. She's saying, Bill, this is what we need to be doing. And I'm thinking, what? And she says, family devotions. And I said, what? We're just new believers. She says, no, we, we need to be reading the Bible to our kids. And listen, we got children's Bibles. And we started opening them up. And I'm telling you, I learned so much about the Bible by reading a children's Bible. That's why I love that Miss Olivia gives these out to different families, the, the children's Bibles. It's, it's, it's such a gift. I mean, I learned about Joan and the Big Fish. I, I, I learned about grace. I learned about so many things. And so that was an important piece. And then as you get older, you teach your children to spend time. But the, not only that, we should be the example. So we train our children in the Lord. But secondly, train your children through instruction. 
Notice what it says here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word instruct, it means training. It's direction. It's intentional. When you read Proverbs, especially the first four chapters, you see a father, actually for the first seven chapters, you see a father that is so intentional to raise up his children to teach them God's truths. In fact, Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. See, Solomon didn't assume that his son knew. He instructed him in the type of friends he should have, the importance of knowledge, the value of wisdom. He instructed him in the Lord, in the importance of protecting the heart, the danger of adultery, the, the, the danger of laziness, the importance of purity, the deceit of drunkenness. He gave him business principles. That's why Proverbs 22.6 is such an important verse for many of us. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we know Proverbs many times are principles. And the key is we have to, as parents, be faithful to train up our children. If that has not been modeled in your family, break the chain. Break the chain. I've said it many times. Pam and I did not grow up in Christian homes. We were 40 when we became Christians. So we started right then. And it's had an impact. Instruct them in the scriptures. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the fact that they need salvation. That they have sin, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. Yet because of God's love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die, to take our place on the cross, to take the wrath that we deserved. And teach them that. Teach them that on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. Teach them that. Not just once. Over and over and over again, when they, when they sin and they will teach them, listen, Jesus died for your sins. There's no shame. Teach them the importance of grace. Teach them the importance of mercy. Teach them the importance of forgiveness. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. How do our children learn grace? They learn it from us. How do they learn mercy? They learn it from us. How do they learn forgiveness? They see it modeled in our lives with our, with our spouses, with, with, with them. Amen. Teach them the importance of not forsaking the assembling of the saints, as is the matter of some. Teach them the importance of, faith, of, of being faithful to study the word. Do your, do your children know when you do your devotions? Do they understand that this is the most important time in your day? Do they see it? Does your spouse see it? Trent said it last week. I think he said it to the men on Saturday morning. If, 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 your wife is asking you, are we going to church tomorrow? You've already blown it. Teach them the importance of that. Teach them regular giving. Teach them serving. Instruct them not just with words, but with action. 
Train them in the Lord. Train them through instruction. And finally, train your children through discipline. Discipline is not punishment. Completely different. Punishment can be punitive. Discipline, it's the idea of they get off the wrong, off the trail and you're bringing them back onto the right trail. Because if they get off on the wrong trail, if you go hiking and you get off on the wrong trail, you might find yourself going off a cliff. Discipline is a very loving thing to do. Discipline is needed. Why? Children sin. Did they learn it or were they born that way? They were born that way. You do not have to teach your children to sin. You did not have to teach them how to say mine. They learn it by themselves. And again, that's why we all need the gospel. Discipline keeps a child on a narrow path. It keeps them on God's path. This is so important to understand. Discipline is loving. Biblical discipline is loving. It's evidence of your love. It is not loving to let little Skippy keep running out in the street. It's just not. If Skippy runs out in the street too many times, something's going to happen and it's not going to be good. The most loving thing you can do is instruct him and discipline if he keeps doing it. Studies show that children who grow up without discipline struggle adjusting in life. They struggle with submitting to authority. They have a harder time keeping a job. Discipline is an act of love. In fact, we see that so clearly with God the Father with his children. In fact, keep your finger in Ephesians and just turn to your right to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have a black Bible, you can find it on page 948, but you go past you know, Ephesians, you go past Philippians and Colossians, you go past the five T's, you know, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, uh, uh, Titus, go past Jude, and you get, or excuse me, go past Philemon, and you get to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Why? Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. See, discipline is evidence. God's discipline is evidence of sonship. When we discipline our children, it's evidence of sonship, of child, that they're our child. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And then you see this very important verse. For the moment, all of discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable, the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is for our good. 
It's evidence of sonship. Proverbs speaks a lot about discipline. Let me just give you a couple. Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, I was at a men's Bible study right after I got saved. And I remember the pastor was talking about his son who was rebellious. And I remember him saying, and I just wore his butt out. And I'm thinking, that's pretty rough. But see, he then went on to talk about he did it in love. See, we have to be very careful that we don't discipline out of anger. I'll talk about that in a minute. We in our family had really three reasons that they got the rod. Lying, disobedience, and disrespect. If they spilled their milk, that was a mistake. But for lying, disobedient, disrespect. And, and we, they knew that. We, 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 we didn't make them guess. They said, we, we told them, you will receive discipline, the rod, if, these things, if you do these things. And it really was a picture of their rebellion. And what we're trying to do is break them of that rebellion, bring them back on a, on a straight path so they don't fall off a cliff. Why did we do that? Because we loved them. And, and, and now they're, they're doing it with their kids. And, and, and their kids, because their kids are wanting to get off on the wrong path. Because they all come from their mother's genes. I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on. Some things are hard to hear, right? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, but, but after, after we, and, and we would discipline, but we would discipline in love, not with the hand. The hand is an instrument of love. And always we would explain, do you know why you're getting discipline? Yes. And, and so we would go through it, but we would do it in a loving way. And afterwards, we, we would love them. We would tell them how much we love them. And, and it was not punishment. It was not punitive. It was discipline. Got enough of a smack to sting, but not enough to hurt. You have to be careful. Let me, let me put up Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, some people do not like the idea of a rod. And for that, I've got Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's the way is death. You know, we, we had dinner the other night with a family who's, they, um, they had not been um, using the rod. They had not been giving expectations. And then they started that. And it was amazing just to see the harmony in the home, the grace that came as a result of that. We were just kind of like blown away. The kids were having a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden you hear some crying and, and then the father just brought him over, looked him in the eye and said, and just talked to him about it. And there was not a whole lot of adjustment needed. They, they went back and they're, they're young, you know, like two and three or five and three. You know, something else that was cool. And I, I probably shouldn't say, it. you know, what we had for dinner, we had chili and arugula salad and it was great. It was delicious. Guess what the kids had? Chili and arugula salad. And they loved it. You know, my mom used to say to us, she goes, I am not a short order cook. We had five kids. Now she wouldn't, believe, but she says, this is the food. This is what you're eating. It was amazing. And, and it's just that the, the, these kids were just like, they were loving it. 
All right, anyway, I digress. Okay, how to discipline. Let me, let me put up just some tips on discipline, and I need to get going. Discipline with guidelines and consequences. Don't make them guess. Second, discipline out of love, not sinful anger. Discipline quickly, why? Because what you don't want is like, okay, two weeks from now, I'm going to discipline you for what you did today. They're not making the connection. And discipline for restoration. You want to restore the relationship. Bring them up to know God, to love God, to worship God. The nation of Israel. In Joshua, we see how Joshua led them and they, they, they conquered the lands with God's leadership. They then, they then were all distributed out to their own places. And then Joshua, at the end of his life, he called all of the leaders, the fathers of the families together. And he said, listen, we are surrounded by all these other cultures. And then notice what he says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. It's a verse you all know. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was, he was, he was, Drawing a line in the sand, he was driving his stake. He said, listen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's not just some little embroidered cute thing above your door. That's probably one of the greatest leadership verses in the Bible. And, and, and they all said, we're going to serve the Lord. And it was not too much longer later that we see in, in Judges chapter 2 this. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Stay right there for a minute. There arose another generation. You are one generation away from those that don't know the Lord. We have a responsibility to pass it on. And notice, when they got away from the Lord, what happened? Let's keep going. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Our homes should be filled with grace. They should be filled with the gospel. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. This can seem like a daunting task, an overwhelming task. But God is here to equip us. He has given us his word. He has given us his strength. And when we fail, and we will, God gives us grace. He takes what is broken and he puts it back together. And the fact is, with the grace that he has given us, we need to extend to others, especially in the home. Let me just, I'm just going to have you bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And maybe you were not brought up in a home that was filled with grace. Maybe you're holding some bitterness and unforgiveness. Just confess that to the Lord right now. Ask God to forgive you for that. Don't let that make you bitter. Let it cause you to be better. Maybe some of you children have been rebellious. Maybe you need to go and ask your parents for forgiveness. Or maybe some of you parents have not 
not loved your children the way Scripture shows us. You've provoked. You've not brought them up in the training and discipline of the Lord. One of the greatest things you can do is go to them and ask for forgiveness. Just confess it and ask for forgiveness. Father, we thank you for grace, something we're all in need of. Father, I pray that uh, you would encourage those that need to be encouraged right now. You would give hope to those that need hope. And Lord, for all of us, we thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and